I'd like to take a minute of your time to let you know what you can do to help Recovery Radio continue its mission as a premier provider of free ongoing support to recovering people worldwide. Recently, our expenses have skyrocketed. The increase is powered by our increasing bandwidth and storage needs caused by the growing popularity of our programs. This is actually a good problem to have as it shows that we are filling a need as we continue our mission to serve the recovery community. However, even good problems are problems that need resolutions and this is where you come in. Recovery Radio has started a fundraiser to help defray our additional cost. Please surf on over to recoveryradio.net and click the donate button. Give whatever amount you can, and rest assured your donation will be used to keep Recovery Radio on air and on mission. Please become part of the solution and help us support the recovery community. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Rebecca. I'm a grateful member of Alan and uh, the girls here are standing before the meeting, and everybody was saying how nervous they were. I said, try being the speaker. <laughs> but I'm glad all of you are here. Um, I had a nice flight in. I'd like to first thank Kelly for calling me and asking me to speak. It's always a pleasure speaking for Alan, in Al-Anon. Um, I was not grateful when I first came in. And when I flew in um, to Sacramento, I'm from Southern California, and it was such a beautiful it was such a beautiful flight, that short flight from San Francisco to here. And then I've never been to um, San, uh, Sacramento, so when I flew in, it was just wonderful seeing all the land and all that. And I was far different from when I first came into the program. You know, the program has taught me to be here and present. Um, right now, at, well, they, they're probably done, but originally this meeting was supposed to start at 1 o'clock. And uh, my sponsor, and I remember Al and I, we were all speaking at 1 o'clock. So we t- I talked to my sponsor this morning, and I talked to the uh, team, and we all said at 1 o'clock, we're there. Unfortunately, at 1.30, I'm here. <laughs> but it's okay. Anyway, I was not grateful when I first came into the program. I come from a family, uh, I come from Hawaii, and I come from a family of six girls, and I am the middle child. I was always independent when you come from a large family. I was born into a committee, so I definitely learned uh, principles of both personalities literally in life. And uh, it was always the strongest one won. That's how it went in our house. And so I came from, um, I did not come from alcoholism. My parents, both parents, did not drink. They did not do drugs. In fact, my dad was a minister. And being born to a family of six, they were guilty because uh, my dad's church was not big enough for him to support his family, so he worked full-time and also um, and did ministry. So my parents were always busy. So they, they would leave, and we would uh, go out and do prayer service and, and all this stuff. And, and you know, they, I would always say they would go out and heal the mass, and we'd be at home beating the crap out of each other, you know? You know how girls are, you use my blouse, no, I didn't, blah, 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 and all that silly stuff. But they were always very, very supportive of us in school. Always very supportive. I was always, I would, I would go into a range from early. I can always remember that I was always headstrong, you know, and, and that type of person leads into trouble. And, <clears throat> and I was that way from the get-go. And being from a large family, you learn to be independent, very independent, very early. And uh, it's, it's you and you alone doing the business. 
But when we participated in school, my parents were there. When we did things and functions, my parents were there. We sang a lot. My dad, you know, we had all of grand time. I remember when my dad had, we were already, six of us were here already, and he decided to go to college. And he would work a full-time job, come home, and every Friday he would take the whole family and would go down to Ala Moana, and that was the beach there, and we'd go swimming, and then after that we'd go to dinner. And I remember that. that now that I know that, it's amazing how he did that. He made time for us. And it was always a family unit. But then we would go to the family parties. Now, I love the family parties because I guess there was drinking there. And we had food. No, drinking wasn't an issue in our house. So we'd go to these family parties and they would have all my cousins and all the aunts and all the uncles. And when you're from Hawaii, we have a large extended family. Big time. So we'd go to these luau's and we'd go to these events and we'd even go to funerals and had fun. You know, when you have your cousins, you're just having fun. And I had such a good time. And yeah, there was drinking there. Yeah, but it was not a problem. Every so often I'd hear my aunts yelling at their uncles and all that stuff, but as kids we enjoyed it. I loved it. I was attracted to the fun. I was attracted to the spontaneity of it all. And as I grew up, so, I think I was in about the seventh grade and I had decided that I wanted to enter a private school. I was going to public school. My two older sisters were in private school at the time. And I decided that I was going to go to private school. And I had made that decision all by myself, you know. I, I, I chose that school because, um, because I liked the uniforms. <laughs> I kept it simple even then. So I looked in the paper. I found out when, when the, the test was done. I caught the bus, went down there took the test, came home, and from that day on, I called the school to find out whether I was accepted or not. You know, I was not one of those shy Alanons. You know, I was, I was very good on the phone, too good. It was a defense of character. And so I called every day, so I knew I was accepted before I got the letter of acceptance. And so my, now three of us are in private schools, and my parents are very, very proud. And I can tell you one thing about private schools, you know, the, the girls, and it was an all-girls school, it was a parochial school, and uh, what I found out was this, I found out two things. The girls aren't good, they just pass, you know, and I found out that there were rich people in this world, <laughs> you know, and they had cars early, and they had sisters, and they came from big, beautiful homes, and, you know, the, the fathers were officers in the service, and there were CEOs, and all this good stuff. And I never thought less then. I thought, yeah, you know? And so they would get, you know, they would turn and they would get the driver's license and they get a car, just like that. So being in a school like this, my parents allowed us to go out at school night. And I remember one night we went out and we were collecting for UNICEF. And after we collected for UNICEF, we spent the money. And we justified that with, you know, UNICEF was for the needy and we needed gas and we needed food. And that was good. And it was fun. So I got used to going out. You know, I got used to going out on school nights. I got used to a lot of things. So after a few years, and I met some wonderful, wonderful girls, and we played sports. I love playing sports. And, and uh, we played all kinds of, I played all kinds of sports, and I met a lot, a lot of nice people. Then after a few years, my parents couldn't afford for me to go there anymore, so I switched over to uh, public school. But that summer, I met a group of girls that were so, so different. And this was in the 60s. And it was before 
um, drugs and, and, and pills and everything got very pronounced before it did, became popular. And I remember meeting up to these girls. Now, these girls came from broken homes. And these girls came from, they weren't going to school, and they were on the streets, and they were out there. And I thought it was so, so exciting. You know, my job of choice was excitement. And it was so different. And I started to hang with them. So when you hang with them, you, you don't, you know, cooking is not, is not taken at all. And the first night, I remember when I, I didn't go home, and I was standing there, and we were hanging out on the streets, and in Honolulu, and, and I'm thinking, oh my God, oh my God, and my heart's pounding, and I said, I gotta go home, but I don't wanna go home. I gotta go home, but I don't wanna go home. And I ended up passing that, and so now I'm past the deadline, <laughs> and I'm there. And that was my first time I started running away from home. And I remember meeting this girl, and there were the, the girls on the street, and I know today, I know today that a lot of them died in this disease. And I remember meeting this girl, and my girlfriend introduced her, and she said, you know, she's a prostitute, and I didn't want to go near her. I didn't want to touch her. I thought I would get something. And that girl saved me, saved me uh, later on, and we got to be good friends, and I got to respect her a lot. So when you start running away from home, because now, you, you know, I'm self-will run riot, and I'm out there, and I have a lot, a lot of fun. You know, things were fun in those days. So I, I went to run the streets, I went to con, I went to steal, I went to all this stuff, and it was in the name of fun. And what happened to me is I ended up in juvenile, and it was a short stay. <clears throat> when I was in juvenile, one of the, the sessions of the day is I had to go to a we went to class, and in that class, there was an instructor, and for some reason she had asked me to assist, this instructor had asked me to assist her in helping um, with the other students. And so she, there was this one gal that was sitting next to me that she was just giving her a bad, bad time. And so she had, when it came time for me to assist, after she, the instructions were over, and she asked me to, to work with this girl. And so I turned to her, and I started to work with her, and she turned to me, and she said, I can't read. And I said, what? And she said, I can't read. She said, when I was younger, um, my parents couldn't afford any shoes, so the kids used to tease me at school, so I, I didn't go. So I can't read. And I believe, I relate to that within this program, because this girl gave the teacher such a hard time, but as a peer, she told me the truth, and that's how I think of this program. One-on-one, one-on-one, I can relate to you. One-on-one, you know, we understand each other. And I know today that I related to her. And she turned to me and she started telling me about her home. And I sat there and I thought, you know, I was young. I was maybe 10th grade, ninth grade, I don't know. And I thought to myself, what am I doing here, you know? And then Saturday was family day. Or was it Sunday? I don't know. And my mother was a choir. You know, my father lectured and my mother was a choir. So I remember she was walking in and she's at the door and I see her and she starts crying from the minute she sees me until the time she sits down and I'm thinking, why did you ever come? And, you know, I know today that my parents love me. And I, I know today as a mother she was, she was um, aching for me, you know. But I was, I was out there and I still wanted to have fun. So I was labeled incorrigible. And I went around by business, and, but for the grace of God, I was able to graduate from high school. My senior year, I was called into the principal's office, and he said, you know, that boy that walked out 
um, before you. He had been missing school for so many days, and uh, he's excelled from school. And now, by then, I know how to con you. You know, I know how to do this, and I know how to do it well. And I'm sitting there, and I've got an attitude. <laughs> and he said, and you've been gone more than that. He said, but because of where you're at in your grade level, this is the only chance I will give you. Now, I believed him, and the reason I believed him is that he used to be the principal of a boys' home. And I knew, see, I know this, when I cannot con you, I will respect you. And I knew his word, he would follow through. And that's exactly what I did. And all of a sudden, now I'm a good, I am a, a good student. I participate in the senior program. I sing for my senior senior. I participate in major, and I am here because now the challenge is up. And that's the kind of person I am. And I get out of school when that summer. Summer is a hard time for me. I move. My chapter changes every summer. So that summer uh, after graduation, I met a girl that had moved. Um, had gone home to visit, and she was living now and living in California. We started to run the streets together, and I know what it was to stay out, but I could remember having a good time out there. And every night I would be up there, and every day I would go to work, and I'd say, tonight, tonight I'm going to go home and get a lot of rest. Tonight is it. And 5 o'clock would come, and I'd be out, and we'd be at the bars and having a good time. After uh, the summer ended, she said she was returning to California. And she asked if I would like to move up to California, and I thought, I can do that. Not very far, Disneyland, I've heard about it, I'm, I'm good. So I go to my parents, and, and I ask, like, I tell my parents my plans, and she, you know, my mother knows now she's got a bigger worry, I'm now going to leave Hawaii, and I'm going to be in California. And now she's got a bigger worry on her hands. So um, she tries to talk me out of it, and when she realizes that, that she can't talk me out of it, she asked me, um, if you knew you've made up your mind to go, why bother asking me? <laughs> and I said, because I need you to pay for my airfare. Yeah. And it was just that simple. So now I fly to California. I get a job here in California, and I'm having a good time. Now all it is is that I'm out there on a larger scale. And I got a job, and I'm not working at a bank. All the, the coast of California and other states today, I, I understand. They have a canoe club, and that's a, a sport from Hawaii. And so, like other, I don't know about other areas, but when you're from Hawaii, you all kind of congregate together, you know, you all kind of hang out, just like program people, we all hang out. So I heard about this uh, from my girlfriend's brother, I met all these guys, and I heard about this uh, canoe club, it was at the marina, so I went down, and I joined the club. And I had heard about this guy's reputation. I had heard, don't ride with him when he drinks, he drives on the sidewalk. Don't ride with him, he's got an attitude. So I had heard way, an attitude way before I met him. And when I met him, all of that went out the window. From that moment on, it was insanity. And I looked at him and I thought, that's it. That's it. And the reason why is because he ignored me. <laughs> You know, he ignored me. And I know something today. When they want to give you attention, they give you all the attention, and I had all that attention. You know, and I can tell you, I will tell you the routine of paddling. Paddling starts probably March or April. 
and you practice Monday through Friday after work. So Monday and Friday you're practicing. Saturday is the regatta. Saturday night is the party. Sunday you either party again or you nurse your hangover and then you start all over Monday. And this went on the whole summer and we had a wonderful, wonderful time. You know, we went to Mexico, everybody went camping, we, we rode canoes, we had a wonderful, wonderful time. Well, after three months, I am now with child. <laughs> you know, and uh, I don't ever remember him asking me to marry him. I just knew I had to plan this thing. I was now with Sal, and, and we were both from Hawaii, so uh, I called my my uh, my parents, and I told them, and uh, so I went out, and he was going to school then. He had just gotten out of the service, and he was going to school on the GI Bill and, and uh, from, uh, for aerospace. And I remember calling my parents and planning and paying for the whole thing, you know, because I was working. And before this happened, when we were just dating, uh, he owned a Corvette. He loves Corvette. You don't know how his Corvette looks like, but we were in his Corvette, and we were at a stoplight, and that light turned green, and we started taking off, and he loved that engine, and we were there, and I was there. I mean, I love the excitement, you know. Alcoholism took me down, but before then, it was fun. So I'm in there, and we're just we were going down the street, and pretty soon, you know, there's a light, a red light going on, and uh, he gets pulled on the side. Now, at that point, there's just one police car. He gets out of the car, and he's, you know, he's been drinking, and, and uh, he's going on and on and on, and I'm going, yeah, that's right, yeah, that's right, yeah, that's right. And pretty soon, you know, the sergeant's ca- car is there, and several other police cars, and they're handcuffed him. And they took him to jail. He had managed to talk one himself right into going to jail. So he, he goes to jail, and that was first of, of several of many trips I had to the jailhouse to get him out. So, you know, all that stuff I did earlier was fixed up. Now I'm a girl. So now I go get a bond building, you know, bond, and I'm getting him, the blood guy, and then I'm, you know, he leads me down to the police station, and he pulls his rap sheet, and he looks at his rap sheet, he looks at me, he looks at his rap sheet, he looks at me, and I was looking for the bench, and he looks at me, and he goes, what is a nice girl like you doing with a guy like this? And I got mad at him. I do not know anything about alcoholism. I do not know that the the path, the journey that I was to walk, and we were to walk together, would bring us to hell and back. And I got mad at him. I bailed him out. Then we, now we're going to get married. I planned the whole wedding. I called my mother. I said, Mom, I'm pregnant. She said, that's what happens. When you play, you pay. They just, uh, you know, you know, in Hawaii, it's for my family anyway, no, no invitations were ever sent out. Everything was by word of mouth. And we get to Hawaii, and they have this wedding, and there's a reception of 400 people there. <clears throat> and I've never met his family yet, and I buy the ring, and I buy the gown, and I buy the place here, and we're there, you know, he had to show up, and we were there, and we fly home. <clears throat> That's all we needed was to do was show up. So we get there, and uh, I remember the night uh, we got married, and we had all these things. And one of our guests uh, from one of my relatives was a, a hotel room in Waikiki, and my new um, 
my um, sister-in-law and brother-in-law were going to meet us in Waikiki and they were going to take us out, you know, on the town. So after the reception, um, we're, we're going back to our room and, uh, you passes out. So now my new in-laws come over and <laughs> I'm leaving there and he passed out. And, you know, that's her brother. <laughs> So I'm looking at them, I look at him, I picked up his horse, climbed him down, he got up, and off he went. And that was it. So I go to, to the hotel, um, now we go nightclubbing in Waikiki, and you know, it's, it's jumping, it's popping. And, and from that moment on, it started the sickness that came, it followed me all the way into Alamon, and then some. I didn't know that he was in a days, in other words, he was drunk. And he had that blank look. And we were talking, we were all at the table and, you know, having a good time. And he happened to turn. And he started staring at this woman. And that got my attention. You know, I think he was in a blackout, but I don't know. So, and then I started to watch him. Now, he was a bar drinker. And he would be gone. Now, when you're not used to alcoholism, like I'm not used to alcoholism, you know, those things upset me because now we're married. You know, the days of, of playing around is over, and now we're going to, you know, and I have this little boy, but I couldn't count on him. You know, my, my father would come up to visit, and I couldn't count on him. Now I'm getting angry because now he's getting five or two, a lot. Now I'm getting real upset because, you know, I'm in jail as pre-Almanage and Almanage is money. <laughs> money is it. So I've got all these financial problems going on. I've got these kids and I'm here tonight to tell you that the reason that, thank God for this program, is I took out my anger and resentment on my shoulder. And I turned on them. So when he wouldn't come home, I was worried. You know, I remember um, the, first time he, the first time he was gone, I called the policeman. Policeman came over to file a missing report. I didn't know where he was. I was worried. So the policeman comes in and I make sure my house is neat. <laughs> so, you know, policeman comes in. He takes the report. He looks at me. Takes the report and he moves And I'm worried. And I'm worried at work. And my, my MO is to call, pick up that phone and call. No one answers. He could be passed out at home, but I'm calling. That's my sense of sanity here. And I'm calling and calling and calling and calling. Nobody's answering. He's gone, he's gone, he's gone. And then when he comes home, it's okay. Now, I am the violent one. I was the violent one in our family. I was very physical. My husband stands six feet, four inches. And thank you, God, that he didn't turn on me, that his wrath didn't turn on me. Because depending on where I was at is how I would react. Sometimes he would come through that door and I would be fine. Other times he would come through that door and he'd better be ducking. You know, and I can remember him saying, he told me one time, he said, you know, the guys at work were talking and, and they were saying that when they come home from the bars, you know, their, their, their wives would, would make me feel sorry for them and say, give me the sad story. He said, not me. When I come through that door, I better be ducking. And he never ever wanted to keep a gun in the house. Because <laughs> I need that puppy. <clears throat> and you know, this went on for a long time. And what happens behind that is I got sicker and I got sicker 
and I got sick of it. I'm carting around these kids. I'm taking them to this place. I'm taking them to that place, you know, and, and could never count on them. But I can tell you this much about him. In spite of everything, he had those moments. Cliff R. and he talks about when he first drank and he had that 15 seconds of, of whatever comfort. You know, I believe today that I stayed in that marriage because that moment of sobriety were wonderful. That man was kind and loving. That man never lifted a, a, a hand against me. That man never swore me and called me names. That man never did anything. And he had more sense than I did because this is how I wanted to pay him and punish him for what he'd done. I would turn on the children. And if he was at home, I would turn on the children. And if they didn't answer me, I'd beat them. And I did that to get his reaction. And he would never say a word and I'd take about my, my children were, my daughter was very fearful of me. I can remember when she would be standing and she was young and I would give her a command and she'd be crying and I would give her a command and she'd stop on a dime. I mean, she was more fearful of whatever pain she, of me than of whatever pain she was in. And I got that sense of sick control. You know, it was like I was losing it and I was losing it fast. <clears throat> But then when he would call me, I would go get him. You know, wherever he would call me, I would go get him. If whether it be in jail or or um, out of gas or something. And as the years went by, I hated doing that. At first, though, in the beginning, it was okay. You know, at first he would call me, and he was always he had a motorcycle. I remember he had a motorcycle, and uh, he was. He always, something was broken. Cars were always breaking on him, or he was running out of gas, you know. And so I went to pick him up, and we were, we were just on our first home, and I went to pick him up, and he viewed it all the way to just off the, off ramp um, to our place. And he held on to the car as I drove, and he was on the motorcycle. And that's how we lived. I mean, we, <laughs> We would pack up our stuff and our cars would be packed with stuff and we'd go and we'd live and we'd have fun. You know, the kids went camping with him and, and you know, I had to one time think about all the gratefuls that I had and he, there was a lot of gratefuls about this man. You know, because he was so spontaneous, I learned how to ski. For I don't know how many years, how many Christmases he would give me, because I, I didn't want to learn how to ski, but he would give me uh, one year a sweater, then he would give me ski gloves, then he would give me ski boots, and then and finally I said, okay, the hell of it, I'm going to ski, you know. <laughs> but it was wonderful. I love living like that. I love that. I love that part, but I got really sick, and both of us got really sick. You know, the agenda in our house, we both had the same agenda, how to keep him happy. You know, how to keep him happy. And, you know, if I did something, oh, maybe I can do that again and he won't drink. And, you know, like I said, he was a bar drinker. And, I, and this, by this time, I've got two children. I'm responsible now. You know, I do not, you know, they say about Al-Anon being in control. I don't want to be in control. I turn it over to you in a heartbeat. But somebody has to in my house. Somebody has to. So I was elected. So I had these two children. And I would have all these promises and all this stuff, and there would be times, and I know today he really meant what he said. 
And uh, I remember the first time uh, we were getting ready to, to move into our new home. We had just bought a home and he had just gotten arrested again. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I promise I won't do this again. And I believe when I came to Alan and I learned that he really meant it, you know. He really meant it. But that wasn't to be. So we have music with and you do, do, you know, you do all these resentments and you're yelling and screaming and yelling. I used to go and see me, yelling and screaming in the house and I'd walk outside and think the neighbors never heard. <laughs> the neighbors can tell you there's trouble and you was know, before you do, you know, and I thought the neighbors never heard. I was so focused on him that one time I met my neighbor in a drugstore, uh, in a supermarket and she introduced herself to me. She, and she said, you don't know who I am. I said, no, I don't. And she said, I'm a neighbor. And she lived right next door. But I was such in a daze. I was such, you know, we all know alcoholism affects every single person, every single person. You know, the, the drinker, the family, everybody gets touched. I, in turn, affected everybody that came in my way. My employers the people on the road, trying to run them off the road with the kids in the car. You know, I came into this program and they said, you know, about insanity. I have a hard time with the steps because I couldn't understand what you're talking about as far as insanity. That was sane, that was normal living for me. It became normal living. You know, my job was played hide and seek. You ever played hide and seek? You know, I'm going to look for him. I'm going to search for the number. He was a budget. I never drank with him. You know, in California, there's thousands of bars. You know, I wouldn't know where to begin. So my job was to stay home and wait. Now, he never told me stay home and wait, but I did. I stayed home and wait, and I started to hate more and more. And it, it falls over. It, it, you know, it spills over into my job. And then my, my family, my family had to hear about how, what a sorry lot I was in. They never dared tell me to leave. That was too sorry. You know, I had gotten, so after 15 years of this, she thought, that's it. That is it. I'm going to leave him, pick them out. Now, I thought that what he would do is go out, fall in his face, and come home. Because, you know, he needed me. I was, I needed everything. But that did not happen. So, uh, over 21 years ago, insurance is big. You know, you go to an insurance program and you go to a hospital program and a lot of people got sober there. And uh, I looked for an insurance, for a, a hospital program that would take the children and I without him. And you know, Alan Arms are good. You put your nose through the ground and you find it. And I found this hospital program that would take as outpatients, the children and I. And this is how it would go. We'd go to the hospital and then you would have, I would have my session, the children would have their session, there was a break and they would have a family session. <clears throat> and uh, when I first got to that the first night there, I go to the, um, my session and, and everybody introduces themselves, you know, and they said, uh, they, uh, they asked each of us why we're there, and I said, you know, I'm there because my husband's doing and, and I need to know how to do this, and I need to know it now. 
because I don't have time. And they said, you know, keep coming back. One of the things in the program was that I had to attend one Al-Anon meeting a week. And before that, I had never, ever heard of Al-Anon. Not a clue. I heard of AA. In fact, one time I called AA. I picked up the phone and I whispered when the, the guy from the, the woman from AA answered and I said, you know, I think my husband. And I was whispering. I said, you know, and I started to give a scenario about my husband's drinking. And, uh, you know, and I was whispering. And I don't know why I was whispering. Because my husband was in our room. You know, because, you know, just in case I was wrong. What if he wasn't? You know, what if it? I could be wrong. You know, I, I could be wrong. I, you know, maybe not. So I was just far gone by then. <clears throat> and anyway, so I remember, so I go to this hospital program, and one of the sessions, you know, these concerts, they know how to manipulate. So one of the sessions after when the family got together, every family session there would be something, an issue brought up. And every single person they would ask for an opinion, you know. And so that night happened to be my night. And apparently my children said something in their session that the conference felt was important for us to bring up in the family session. And my children brought up that I was, they were afraid of me, that I was too physical. And uh, they wanted that brought up. So, every single person, you know, we're great for giving opinions. We can give you an opinion in a heartbeat. We're always critical of you. So, they went around, everybody went around the room, and they were giving their opinions about, you know, what you can do and what, you know, how damage can be done about being physical and blah, 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 blah. And so, when they, were, when they were all done, I looked at them, I said, I will tell you this, and I will tell you this once. When I get to that point where I'm physical with you, I want to hurt you. I want to draw blood. I want to do everything that I can to hurt you. And that was it. And I had that thought in my mind, because you weren't going to change my mind. Um, when we were ready to leave the hospital program, they have an exit interview. They have an orientation and exit interview. And my counselor said, uh, and during the exit interview, he said, you know, all the counselors got together, and when we discussed your case, he said, you are just doing different. <laughs> He said, he ne they never met such a person like me. And what happened was, and he pointed out a good thing that I never noticed before. He said that, he said, you ever notice your children? He said, when we're sitting down and we ask them a question, they will turn to you. And whatever, Whatever eye contact I make with them, or whatever facial expression I make with them, will tell them whether it's safe or not to answer. That's the disease of alcoholism. You know, and I never ever notice. You see, you know, you run your family like a drill sergeant. Well, I have to. I mean, I have to get all these things done. And then go to work, and then come home, and then clean the house, because I thought, see, I thought if I was like his parents, his mom was, that it would be okay. You know, so my house was clean, and he was a clean person too, so my house was always clean, always immaculate. 
Thank you all the time. I was very organized, you know, and I have to look at the great book when I got into this program. I benefited a lot from that because when you have a full faith, you get real organized. And uh, so I learned that from this conference. And things were good. But one of the gifts that I have in this program is that I was able to speak through the night because I could not speak through the night. Five minutes would seem like five hours to me. You know, waiting for his car to come down the street. We all know the sound of their car. And I knew it because you could hear a few blocks away. You know, at one time, you know, I couldn't even hear you. Well, one time the, the highway patrol brought him home. They thought he was doing, they were doing me a favor. <laughs> they said, we found him in the booth. I used to call him Superman. He was always in the booth. Telephone booth. <laughs> anyway, so... So, you know, so what happened is that I started to sleep through the night, and that was such a gift. After a couple of months out of this hospital program, now I'm beginning, those feelings starting to come back again. I don't feel as good now. And I remembered Al-Anon. And I believe that hospital program cost um, my insurance company about $10,000 back then. And, you know, I could have had Al-Anon for free. But it takes what it takes for me to get where I'm going. But I remembered Al-Anon, so I went to Al-Anon meetings. And I'm not like one of these Al-Anons that walked in and felt at home. I walked in because there was no place else for me to go. I did not know what you were sharing. I did not care about what you were sharing. I just had some place to go. And I sat there. And little by little, I started to hear you share, and I thought, I don't know how to share. You know when they ask me to share? I don't know how to share. Because you didn't say, what did he do to today? You know, you never say, I couldn't talk about him, so why bother talking? <laughs> I couldn't talk about negative, so why bother? So I just sat there, and you were talking about blue sky, flowers, and I thought you were crazy. You know, I thought you were I come from excitement, anger, resentment, and hate, and I now do that real well. <clears throat> so I kept coming back, and I kept coming back, and I kept coming back, and I found I don't know about your meetings here, but in our meetings back there's a lot of our meetings there's phone lists, you know, of Alamans that you can call. And I found that phone list and I started to go down that list and call every single Alanon at that list. And I started to whine and whine and whine and I knew the Alanon said, I can't take your calls anymore. Come on. <laughs> I called him up and one of the calls that I made, that's why God's in charge, because one of the calls that I made, she said, you know, Rebecca, I have a number that I'll give to you. Why don't you call her? And that's how I got my sponsor. You know, I called her. My sponsor is Telephone. And it's okay for her to say, to, for me to say her full name. And it's all right with her. And I got a hold of her. And I got to hang out with her. 
Now, if I thought my life was hell before program, it was about to get worse. It was about to get worse. And he, she was, and it had nothing to do with her. Thank God God put her in my life. Is that I hit my bottom in program working the steps and with the sponsor going to meetings and being a service. That's when I hit my program. Because in this program, thank you God, I found out about the other woman. And I, that is, that's it. Insanity here. You know, I looked at the 12 steps, you know, uh, they don't have it here, but in meetings, in our meetings back here, they have the 12 steps and 12 traditions hung up, you know. And when I walked into an hour on me and I looked at those steps, I did not even bother. I saw God. And that, you know, everything left me because, you see, I was married to the God of my understanding. You know, so I saw that and I didn't want to bother with that. I didn't have anything against God. It's just that I didn't go to Him. You know, and I was busy. So, if you're wondering, if you're wondering, you're wondering why the 12 steps and 12 traditions are read at every single meeting, whether it be AA or Al-Anon, it's for dummies like me to finally listen to it. You know, dummies like me, because I took me the longest time to hear it. And so I decided that, so anyway, I meet up with Carol and uh, she takes me under her wing and she's very, very active in service. Um, and she speaks a lot. So she would take, she, she started a meeting, her and I, she wanted to, she had to move to the area. I believe she was there for me. She had just moved to the area. She, and she wanted to start her own meeting. Um, so we did. She started her own meeting. And it was fine. And it's a Poland participation meeting. So I am very comfortable at the Poland. Everybody that shares at that meeting shares from this Poland, from a Poland. So um, anyway, we started that meeting and we got, uh, and she gotten very active. And so when she would go out to share, and she still does that today, today um, she would take a 10-minute speaker out with her, you know, and she, the 10-minute speaker would share for 10 minutes, and then, and then she would share. So, first thing she asked me to go, I said, uh, what do I do? I said, what do I do? She said, share for 10 minutes. She said, that's what a 10-minute speaker does. She st- you stand up, you say what it was like, what happened, what it's like today, and you do it all in 10 minutes. And I learned to do that. You know, and it was scary. It was as scary as it was today before getting up to the yeah, and I learned and we we would go out and all of us Alan would jump in the car and we'd be gone. And we go in in the middle of um yeah, I'm just amazed at how Alan said, Oh no, that movie is just too far. You know, I would go to any lanes for my disease. You know, and she would remind me too, you went to any lanes for your disease, you better go to any lanes for your recovery. And that's just about it. And so we jump in the car and we go down uh, to um, just before San Diego and we share there. And we, and we were so much fun because the fellowship is in the car, going to the meetings and coming back, you know, and listening. I don't know how many times I listened to her and her, her story, but I always got something out of that. Always. Now, you know, then when I found out about this other woman, now I wanted him back. You know, I didn't want him, but by God, 
I worked too hard. I didn't want you to have them either. So I set about to get in that, you know. Doing that is very hard. So he was in and out of the house, in and out of the house. Now, when he was home, see, this part I knew about from my sponsor, that when you take that commitment, you better fulfill that puppy, because you got very to do. So, with me, I was, you know, I was um, set up. And when he was home, though, I was on husband watch. You know, that called for 24-7. But I would have to set up the meeting. Now, I'm... I got to set up this meeting, but I got this husband at home. So, I'd like to tell you that Monday night meeting should be forever grateful. Because I would take him to the meeting, we would both set up the meeting, it would look nice, and we'd stand up and walk out, because I'd be watching him. But my commitment was fulfilled. So when the Alamon would show up and they say, where's your Rebecca? They said, he's home. We are, he's home. I had, I, I learned a lot of things in this program. I did a lot of crazy things in this program. I packed up my kids. I found out where she lived, by the way, and I found her phone number. You know, there is a God, because she's still alive. Except the car with the kids and his clothes, and I drive, we had, we had a VW bus, and I drive that car down to her house, and I said, where is she? And I would pick up the clothes and Going on and, and I drive away and my kids, you know, our children are hostages. You know, they see this craziness and that's how they get affected. You know, they see the craziness and the behavior of both parents. My children ended up hating me more than they hated him. You know, they hated me because they had me 24-7 and I was not a pretty sight. And then I would call her. You know, I would call her up and I would talk. I even went down there one night and I talked to her for about three hours. You know, I mean, wonderful. I show up, no makeup. You know, wonderful. I was wonderful. I would stalk them, you know. And that's when I found out she had a God of his understanding because I tried to run him over. He jumped that wall and that's what saved him. You know, because today you would have a different speaker standing up here giving you the talk. <laughs> anyway, so I would do that, and I did crazy things, and then I would stalk him, and then I would call him, and then I would, and one day I just left work. See, I know insanity. The A's don't have a cut of that one, because I know insanity, and I took it to the limit, because I am a self-willed person. And by then, I am controlling, or I think I'm controlling the universe. And I don't like it, and I'm going to take it out on you. And then I started to work the steps, and the steps worked me. You know, that step worked me. I remember reading the first step, and I go, I can't do this. <laughs> there is no way so I threw it aside and went on my business, you know. But that's okay, if you're doing the same thing, that's okay. You know, you keep coming back, it slowly works you. And that's what I did. And the beauty of this program is that I found a God of my understanding. You know, I was subpoenaed at my home group meeting. And I remember this guy, he was sitting there, I thought he was cute. You know, and how you go around the room and you identify yourself. And at the break time, the guy walked up, handed me, and he said, are you Rebecca? I said, yes. <laughs> that puppy served me. <laughs> 
I turned to my sponsor, I walked up to my sponsor, I said, I just got third paper. She said, she said, oh, that's good. She said, and when the sharing starts, stand up and share that, and I did. And like she said, what better place to get served but in your home group? In your home group. <clears throat> As a newcomer, I was two years in Al-Anon, and um, we have a roundup that's now, so we have a roundup in Southern Cal, uh, at, in my area too, and uh, it's over, always over July 4th weekend, and this year we celebrate our third, 20th. And when I was two, uh, two years in Al-Anon, I was asked to be on the newcomer panel, and at that newcomer panel, we had to share. You know, we were to share, and so um, it was in a small room in the hotel. It's the, this um, roundup is always held at the Torrance Marriott Hotel. And uh, anyway, I was sitting there waiting for me just to share, and my sponsor, I was facing the door, and my sponsor's looking at me like how you are now, and. I looked up, and my husband was at the door, and he had his beer, and he was looking at me. And I looked at my sponsor, and I kept going, kept giving him the high five, you know. And she said, "You'll be fine. Don't worry, don't be nervous. You'll be fine." Not realizing that my husband was there, but see, by then I learned to keep it in I and not you. So when I got up to share, thank you God, I shared whatever I shared and I sat down. And that night he called me and he said, you know, I wanted you to show up and I wanted to hear what you had to say. He said, you did a good job. You know, you did a good job. And I was grateful for that. Because you see, through the years, even though you hear the craziness that I did and the punishing that I did, we did love each other and we do love each other. You know, I, we just got blinded by alcoholism big time. You know, we got blinded and lost. And I'm glad that God showed me the program of Al-Anon and AA. So I get to Al-Anon and I'm going to meetings and I'm, I'm with a sponsor and I love open AA speaker meetings and my sponsor encouraged me to go to open AA speaker meetings and I did and I used to go once a week, either Saturday or Sunday. And I, and I loved it in AA meetings because everybody laughed and it was fun. Because Al-Anon don't know laughter too much, you know. My Monday night meeting does. Trust me, we rock out. <clears throat> but, you know, then I used to love it. And because I knew nothing about alcoholism, it answered so many questions. So many questions. I, because the deal was, she would come home, sit down, and I would either... I would ask, this is how it went, a, a typical conversation after a bitch, after one of his business. He would come home, sit down, and I would ask him the questions. Now, what it was is that I would ask him the questions, and he didn't talk. So I would ask him the questions, answer the questions, ask him the questions, answer. I had a one-way conversation going on, and then when I got upset, I'd hear them. <laughs> you know? 
and he would sit there and he wouldn't say a word. So I go into uh, this open AA speaker meetings and I hear all these things and I am starting, you know, I can remember that Sunday, that first Sunday I heard the speaker and he was saying that he had, one more time he was out of jail and one more time he was going to see the psychiatrist and he walks into the psychiatrist's office and he, he says to himself, I'm going to have the answer now because he had all the diplomas of the doctor on, on the walls and all this stuff and he walks in and he said, I'm going to get my answer now. And he said, I sat down and the doctor said, if you don't drink it, you don't use, you know, you won't get into trouble. And this is the key that opened the light, for, that turned on that light for me. He said, Drinking was my answer. You know, it may have been your problem, but it was my answer. And I never ever, that was the first time that door opened for me, and I started to understand. I started to understand a little bit and a little bit, and then he would laugh, and they would tell things about what they did and everybody, I would laugh. You know, you know an Alan on the TV when she laughs. <laughs> when you laugh, there's hope for you. And so, you know, they would talk and they would laugh and I would laugh. I'm sure I would laugh. That's your husband that was being a fool. It was my husband I was saving from grace. You know, but your husband, that's another story. And I learned to enjoy it. And I learned to understand. It took me a long time to accept. You know, working the steps relieved me of that. And I started to work the steps. I can tell you this. My recovery today is based on finding the beauty of this program and the gratefulness that I share for you of this program is being having a God of my understanding and the love of this program and working with others. I went to court a lot. I got a divorce. I went to court a lot. I went to court so much, I welcomed the newcomer to court. I learned that in me. You know, this girl was sitting by me, she was shaking so much. I grabbed her and I said, are you okay? She said, I think so. And I said, I told her Lucy, I told her when the judge was coming out, what was going to happen, no, all of this. And she was okay. You know, and what happens to me is how I learned in this program is that it takes me out of self and I became a service to her and I was out of self. And that's how it works. It's no different with any program. <clears throat> and I also learned a lot of things. I learned that we have a powerful, powerful fellowship. That all I had to do was ask a question and one of you would talk to me after the meeting. And in going to court, I remember calling an Al-Anon and I said, you know, I'm going to court today and my, my daughter wants whatever the situation and I, I said, you know, I'm so nervous. And that person, that Al-Anon told me, she said, if you've got to do your fifth step from the podium, you do it. You, you sit there and you answer and you be honest and as honest as you can be. And that's all I needed was somebody with assistance and instruction. You also shared with me that you better take notes because you're, you're one of many cases with your attorney. 
So what I would do is go to court and, you know, before I would write down questions and, uh, and then when we, we talked to the, uh, my attorney, when I talked to the attorney before the, the court, um, we'd go through it. And I learned that from you. I learned, I had an answer from you. And so my, my, my attorney, this one time, she always said, oh, don't react to him. Don't react. It's okay. One time he got her so wild, she went up and she <laughs> was I said, oh, don't react. I should have given her an album on the record. I said, he's just to you too. <laughs> but I started learning to do, you know, to be good to myself, and I started to take care of myself. Um, my sponsor, I, I, learned, I, I learned from example. My sponsor is great to say the example, example, example. And what I had to do was practice, practice, practice. I had to practice to be loving and kind. Hard thing you do. I can practice to be loving and kind in the meeting. I go home and I'm wearing the go. So, you know, what happened between the time I left the meeting to the time I got home. So I started to take God with me everywhere. You know, and it, it works for me today. I don't have a relationship today, but with my, my children. They have a journey of their own. And I'm okay with that today. And I don't think there's alcoholism going on, but the sex of alcoholism is what they live with. You know, and the behavior that they saw, my behavior. Uh, and it's okay. You know, and this is how I, I my take on it, is that the journey, the journey that I made before into program, my parents wouldn't have chose that path for me, not once. So I know that I need to, my, my children have their own journey, you know, and they have the, their own God of their understanding. And I can remember the first time I dared to go to my sponsor with a resentment. You know, Alanons don't think we plot. We don't plan, we plot. And I had this resentment against somebody. And uh, I went to her, and she told me to pray for them. And I thought, surely you just. <laughs> i got to pray for this guy? No way. You know, I want to take him down quick. <clears throat> and I learned that that's where it works. I learned that I have to make amends. I make amends. I don't have a problem making amends today. I'm going to tell you a few things that would happen. One day, my, my daughter and I clashed a lot. And one day, she called me, and we were clashing, and I was at work. <coughs> and uh, anyway, so we're going at each other, and we hung up from that. We don't hang up. We slam the phone, you know? We were like, <clears throat> and so I prayed up and I said, you know, God, how can I do this different? How can I do this different? If you, if you want to want to do something, just pray up, you know, and let it go. So I said, you know, God, how can I do this different? I picked up that phone and I called her and I said, you know, I am so sorry. You know, what can I do to be of service to you? I said, you know, I love you. 
hard thing for somebody for me to say. I learned in Al-Anon to say I love you. I started off loving and kind, but then I turned left instead of turning right. You know, and this program taught, taught me how to turn left again. And it was very hard, because to tell you I love you was to admit defeat. Sick thinking, but to show you that I was weak. And I wasn't allowed to be weak. You know, that kept me going. But that day I told my, my, uh, my daughter I loved it. And you know, without even, without even pardon, she said, Mom, I always loved you. You know, and she didn't have a program. You know, I took my kids to LRT. They didn't think they needed it. That was okay. I was an example. I showed it. And I took them to that. I lost my first grandchild at seven weeks old. She died of SIDS. I learned in this program that, and it was my daughter's first um, child. And I learned this program because I practiced this program and I learned to do the next indicated thing. I can tell you that I was not on best behavior when I got that call at 5 o'clock in the morning and they were at the hospital. And she said, Mom, it doesn't look good. And I am hysterical with all the program in the world and I am hysterical. <coughs> and uh, her, her dad and I went down to the hospital and I am hysterical. I said, oh my God, what if the the, the, the baby lived and with the this and the that. You know, God was good. God took her. And uh, by the time I got to the hospital, she was already gone. And it hurt. And it hurt bad. And, uh, but I knew that we just needed to do something. And I come from a loving and strong family. By this time, all, my, all five of us live in Southern California. So the fellowship and the support that, support that we learn as children continues, and I'm grateful for that. And so we all gather up. When the sisters gather up, the kids call it, our kids call it the committee of meetings, <laughs> and decisions are made <laughs> quick. <laughs> and so everybody gathered up, and everybody came around us, you know. And my daughter came to me and she said, she said, why? Why, Mom? Why? You know, I learned in this program and what came out of my mouth was this. Asking ourselves why will kill us. I used to ask, why does he dream? Why can't he stop? Why is he home? Why is he home? You know, and it would drive me crazy. And I used to just know this that you had seven weeks with your baby and she had to leave. You know, and, you know, my daughter suffers from that today, but that is her story and it's okay. You know, it's okay. 
I know a couple of mothers days ago, you know, because they, I don't communicate with my children, and I'm okay with that. Um, it was Mother's Day, and my uh, my my nieces invited me to Mother's Day, and they took all of the sisters out for Mother's Day, and they gave each of us the card, a Mother's Day card, and it was absolutely wonderful. Now I looked at that and I realized today, because this program taught me how to grow up and be mature. And I looked at that and I said, you know, like I heard in this program, you go where you get your comfort. And I was forever, forever grateful for that. I was very grateful for that. And uh, God gave us grandchildren though. You know, I may have made mistakes as a grandmother, I am mean, as a mother, but as a grandmother, I am the boss. I am cool. They love me no matter what. I've got a total of five grandchildren, but I see on a regular basis three. And I am so grateful because I get to see them through my in-laws, through their in-laws. You know, it's not through my children, but through the, um, the, the spouses. And I love it. And uh, my, my grandson, and he's eight now, and he plays baseball. And uh, we're, our family's great baseball players. I mean, we're great. We love baseball. <laughs> and uh, so... One day he was about hmm, three or four years old and he was over the house and he was telling me about this relative that his stepdad was over and that you know, they had gone to a museum and he was telling me about the day. So I'm asking him questions, you know. I'm asking him how was the day and uh, how was she? And I asked him this question. I said, is she pretty? And he was eating. He looked up at me. He he looked down, he looked up at me, he said, Not as pretty as you, Grandma. <laughs> and I said, Son, you will go far. <laughs> you know, and I get my strokes through them. I love them to death. You know, because of this program, I can be present when I'm with them. There's so many aspects, and, you know, because I'm, I'm sitting today, I can appreciate all this stuff. Him and his sister and another cousin were uh, over the house one day, and I was busy cleaning, and my, my grandson goes, Grandma, you always work hard. You always work hard. I said, yeah, I, I, I guess I do. I said, that's okay, because when you get older, you can help Grandma work. And his sister, who's about three years younger, without skipping a beat, says, not me. <laughs> and I said, you know, that's a woman with self-esteem. <laughs> She's great. She was, my granddaughter, she, she'll be five and she'll tell you that. And she, she, when she was about two or three, we were at a fast food, and we got there, and before the food came, I, I went to take her to the bathroom, you know, and she, she got off the, the, um, 
The table is sheet going. No touch, nothing. No touch, nothing. And she's chanting. She goes, no touch, nothing. So I said, Kyla, what are you doing? She said, Mommy said, when I go back to no touch, nothing. And I said, yeah, that's kind of like program. Let go of my God. Let go of my God. Shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. You know? And I learned from these things. And it's just hysterical. I mean, she's hysterical. The other, the other week we're at a game. And she's, her brother's playing a game. And she's sitting there. One of her brother's teammates comes to the end of the dugout and looks at me. And, and she said, and she said, see number eight, he likes me. She's, she's telling, she's telling my girlfriend, and she said, he likes me. And at that moment, this number eight said, hi, Skyler. She turned to my friend, she said, see, they all like me. I thought, is going to have a space for you. <laughs> She's so wonderful. She's so spontaneous. She has the love of life. And you know God is good because your mother will get what I got. <laughs> it is just so, so good. And that's what this program has done for me. This program has, has opened up a life that's well worth living for. You know, it has opened up all these things. Uh, about two years ago, I had made up my mind that I was going to love him no matter what. My husband, he never remarried. I never remarried. We got together. We lived in sin for a while. And uh, I decided that, you know, he never found the program. And he doesn't have a program today. But when I decided that he was going to be the only guy that I was going to love no matter what, he didn't have to be sober, he didn't have to, he had to be him. It was okay. And about two years ago, he works out of town, that helped. <laughs> and he flew in and we got married. And a program person married us. And my sponsor was there and several other close Al-Anon friends and their husbands were there. My family was there. My grandchildren wasn't there, weren't there. Their parents were there, but my sisters were there. Most of my sisters and my nieces and nephews, and we got married. Now I get a second chance at life, so what I get to practice is relationship, you know, I don't know how to court, and now I'm courting. Now I'm holding hands. Now I'm saying I love you. you know, and it's just wonderful. Now I can tell you this much. Whether that person in your life or the child in your life is drinking, my experience has been if you shut up and don't overreact, the, the argument ends. You know, and that's what I get to practice. And we laugh a lot. Because he's my friend. You know, we have, he called me all the time. He never used to. He never used to. You taught me to stay in my square and mind my own business. You 
taught me that everybody has their own journey. And that's what this program has taught me. I learned this program to love again. That is the gift of this program. I have learned love beyond compare. You know, we are program people, whether it be AA or Al-Anon. I came in here and we healed. And that's just a marvelous, marvelous gift. So if you will keep coming back, and thank you for being here.